Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on an NCAA Selection Monday. But more importantly, it's Memorial Day. Let's take some time to to, uh, remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. There are so many Bulldog fans and their families that have uh, had to bury people that were part of our armed forces. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for those families and those people that serve in our armed forces. It is a job that I would not want for myself. But yet they provide the blanket of freedom in which we rest each and every night. And this day, we take some time. It's not about nights on the river or barbecue chicken and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, um, it's more important than that. And there's a lot of people these days that kind of confuse Veterans Day and Memorial Day, and both are important holidays in our nation's history. I submit to you there are very few on the level of Memorial Day. And so we're going to do a top 10 list today of a uh, very, very famous Southern rock band that's got ties to Mississippi and uh, probably their bass player during their glory days is a veteran of Vietnam. So we're going to get to that a little bit later. Not in any way to suggest that his life is more valuable than anyone else's, but I wanted to take some time today to, uh, to honor him and all of our fallen soldiers in our nation's history. So that's my feelings about that. And, and uh, again, you may feel differently, and that's okay. You know, we live in a relative society these days where some things matter to others that don't matter to uh, so many of us. But this is one of those days that I think we can all kind of put our differences aside and say, you know what, this is the day that we should kind of come together as a people, regardless of our political backgrounds, our voting history, or our feelings about social issues, but uh, to, to say, hey, we honor your sacrifice for our great nation. Happy Memorial Day. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I'll be in there this week. I've been kind of jonesing a little bit for some Bulldog Burger Company. You probably have too. Many of you don't live in an area where you get to enjoy the fine cuisine of Bulldog Burger Company on a regular basis. I don't take that for granted, being here in Star Vegas, the, uh, the flagship of the Bulldog Burger Company empire right here on University Drive. And, of course, uh, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, what a fine location that is. And then the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the central Mississippi area, Ridgewood, Flowood, Pisgah, Pelahatchee, whatever, in that area. It's all within driving distance. I encourage you to go by and have the spring rolls. They will make you better looking. It's science. It's now in, in, in print on the menu. They'll make you better looking. And they will. We all need more of that. Get that chocolate shake to go. You're looking for a great restaurant-quality hamburger. Look no further than Bulldog Burger Company, but so much more on that menu than just hamburgers, even though a great restaurant-quality hamburger is one of the finest delicacies we can afford ourselves. I like those Sloppy Joe sliders a lot, too. And I've told you guys, too, we're really happy about that Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Very happy about that. Go by and check it out if you haven't. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. Okay, so before we break down the NCAA tournament bracket, uh, let's take some time to honor 
our Mississippi State softball team. Their season comes to an end after being swept in a Super Regional by Arizona. In no way does that diminish the quality of our season. It was historic. Very grateful that we had something else to cheer about this year, right? And I believe, too, as Sam Ricketts said, you know, in postgame, I hope we picked up some new fans, and I believe we certainly have. I don't think there's any question. I think it's outstanding. I want to thank them, everybody involved with Mississippi State softball for all he did. It's an incredible, an incredible season. And the best is yet to come. We only lose a handful of players. We lose some significant ones for sure, like Mia Davidson. And we're going to name her our prime shrimp softball player of all time at Mississippi State. How could we not? We've had some great ones, Chelsea Bramwood, others. But Mia Davidson's done something no one else in the Southeastern Conference in any sports ever done. She's hit more home runs than anybody in either baseball or softball. And she's Mississippi State Bulldog for life. Visit PrimeShrimp.com today. You'll be glad you did. Four great flavors to choose from. I love Prime Shrimp. I do. I, I love the fact that I can have restaurant-quality shrimp at home without a lot of prep, without a lot of cleanup. Because shrimp is great, but it's an awful lot of trouble. I think we can all admit that. I mean, you go down, and you, you pick it up at the store, and you bring it home. you got to peel it. you got to devein it. There's just a lot to it. And sometimes you ask yourself, was it really worth it? Well, Prime Shrimp takes all of that out of your way. You can enjoy that great shrimp from a New Orleans-based shrimp company, PrimeShrimp.com. I like that Alfredo. I really do. I I like the fact that it is so easy to deal with. You just, you know, you put it onto bowl, but 10 minutes later, you're ready to go. And your sauce and your shrimp are ready. You can warm up a a bed of fettuccine noodles. Next thing you know, it feels like you're sitting in a French Quarter. Check it out today, PrimeShrimp.com. Use promo code BONEYARD to save a little money when you do. And again, our Prime Shrimp softball player of eternity at all time, Mia Davidson at Mississippi State. Thank you for your contributions to our university and to our softball program. Your, your name and number should probably be, be retired for all time. And you begin to think, you know, sometimes it's difficult to appreciate greatness in the moment. I can't begin to imagine that we'll have many players no matter how successful our softball program is moving forward, than Mia Davidson. So thank you, Mia, and everybody involved in Mississippi State softball. All right, let's break down the tournament here uh, on the baseball side. Watch the selection show like many of you. I know some of you were like, you know what, we're not in it, I don't care. I watched it. I'm a college baseball nerd, I admit it. So running through the numbers here, the ACC gets nine teams in. Southeastern Conference ties them with nine because we had Ole Miss get in. A lot of people projected Ole Miss out of the field. I thought Ole Miss was in until yesterday. You know, with so many teams on Saturday upsetting conference one seeds, conference tourney one seeds, regular seeds and champions, I said, you know what, this bubble has shrunk next to nothing. Didn't think Alabama would get in, didn't think Kentucky. I thought late in the week, last week, Alabama could surpass Ole Miss. They didn't. And Ole Miss gets in. Alabama, Kentucky stay home. Pac-12 gets five. Big 12 gets five. Sun Belt gets four. How about that? The Sun Belt and Georgia Southern hosting for the first time. When Coastal Carolina got in, I thought, yeah, maybe tough for some other teams. The A-Sun gets two. Kennesaw State, our friend Josh Hatcher, part of the A-Sun Tournament Championship team. Liberty gets in as an at-large. And I, again, thought that was probably bad news for a Power 5 team. Big 10 gets just two teams in. I don't agree with that. They get Maryland and Michigan. Rutgers does not get in. 
Rutgers doesn't get in. And NC State, our friends with the pack, man. I mean, goodness gracious. I almost would have put NC State in almost as a, um, you know, almost as a courtesy after what happened last year. And I think you can argue they probably have the biggest beef of all the teams that were not included. There is no NIT in baseball. Conference USA gets two teams in. Some people projected they would get three. They get two, Tech and Southern Miss. Missouri Valley gets two. West Coast gets two. When San Diego won the West Coast tournament, the bubble shrunk because Gonzaga was getting in either way. Western Athletic gets a pair. American East gets Binghamton. We played those guys. They have a losing record. They got in by winning their conference tournament. The uh, AAC gets only ECU, but ECU, a super regional potential host site for the second time. Their top eight national seed for the second time in program history. The Atlantic 10 gets VCU. Of course, the Rams were here last year in the Starkville Regional. The Big East gets UConn. Big South gets Campbell, our friends in Campbell. The Fighting Camels, have to cheer for those guys. Zach Neto, all those guys. Big fans of them. Big West gets UC Santa Barbara. The Colonial gets Hofstra. The Horizon gets one. Ivy League, of course, gets just the one. Uh, Metro Atlantic, one. Mid-American, one. Central Michigan, we had those guys a couple years ago in a regional here. The Chippewas are absolutely insane. Mid-Eastern gets Coppin State. First time they've ever, ever advanced to the NCAA college baseball tournament. Mountain West gets Air Force. Uh, those guys can really swing it. The Falcons can swing it. I won't be the least bit surprised if they don't uh, make some racket in a regional. The Northeast gets one. Ohio Valley with one. Patriot League gets Army. And you see, so you get two service academies in a tournament. I don't know if that's ever happened before. That's pretty cool, too. Uh, Southern gets one. Southland gets one. Swag gets one. The Summit League gets one as well. All right, so let's take a quick look at these, uh, at these brackets. Give you a few picks here, too. Okay, so Tennessee has Alabama State, the champions of the SWAC. That will, that will likely, if, I, if I'm Tony Vitello, I don't even know that I throw uh, one of my big arms. And I think this regional is set up pretty well for them. But I think Alabama State you know, rightfully is the four. But if I'm Tennessee, I, I, I mean, I just don't do it. Georgia Tech and Campbell, that is a sexy game right there. Campbell has some arms. Campbell is a scrappy team that can swing it pretty well. Georgia Tech, you know, in there is a two at the 34-22 record. I won't be surprised at all if Campbell wins that game. I'm pulling for that to happen. I do think, like everybody else, so Tennessee takes his regional. You kind of hate it for Campbell. They got sent to Knoxville. But I'll tell you this, those guys told me when they were here last year, you know, they were happy to get to, to take a trip somewhere because the, the two previous regionals, they had gone to East Carolina. And probably should have won that thing uh, back in 19. But they didn't. But again, Campbell gets to take a trip. That's a pretty solid mid-major program out there. All right, the number two national seed. And I love this team. I've watched them play a handful of times. I could see Stanford giving Tennessee trouble. Of course, they would not meet unless they met in the NAFL championship final. Stanford can pitch it. They get Binghamton in game one. That'll be a blowout. And then Texas State... Kind of an RPI darling this year. They get UC Santa Barbara. That could be an interesting game, too. All right, the Corvallis Regional, a lot of people had Oregon State as the two, and Oregon State is a two, and Stanford is a three. I think it works out pretty well here, though. Either way, I think uh, Oregon State feels good about what they have. I like this regional. I think it's entertaining. I think Oregon State sweeps this thing, though. Vandy is the two. 
And when you saw that pop up, you're thinking, hey, you know, Vanderbilt just needs to get in. I just don't know that Vandy has a team capable of handling an Oregon State pitching. And it's a different game in the Pac-12. you got to be really, really sound defensively. They do do some short ball stuff out there, some short game stuff. They run a lot. It's a different game. They don't really play for the big inning as much. And Vanderbilt defensively has been a bit of a mess. So it's not a good matchup. I think Oregon State sweeps this thing easily. Blacksburg Regional hosted by Virginia Tech. Best team in school history. 41-12 record for them. They get Wright State as a four. And then you got Gonzaga versus Columbia. This is a peach of a regional for the Hokies. Gonzaga, in the hosting discussion for a while, really thought last year was a breakthrough year for them. And they've proven it's not a fluke. Hanging around out there, Gonzaga versus Columbia, I, I think it's Virginia Tech probably sweeping this thing. Probably a sweep. But should be a pretty good weekend for those guys. The College Station Regional, and how about that? The team that finished last in the West last year didn't even make the team at Hoover is your number five national seed. And I think they get a peach of a regional too, also with uh, some interesting storylines here. Sloshnagel leaves TCU for A&M, and then TCU gets a number two. I had TCU into the weekend probably hosting. And then now A&M gets an uh, opportunity to host them. So that'll be interesting. You know, Kirk Sarlos, a guy that's uh, kind of been the coaching waiting there at Fort Worth for a long time. They get uh, UL, affectionately known as UL Lafayette. They get those guys, an upset winner there in their conference tournament. Then Oral Roberts, uh, guys, with, and they have pitching for days too. It'll be interesting. That, that one versus four game between A&M and Oral Roberts could be very low scoring. It could be very interesting. And, you know, Detmer didn't pitch exceptionally well at Hoover. So, you know, we'll see how that shakes out. But I won't be surprised if Oral Roberts doesn't uh, keep make this game competitive. I don't think there's any way they win it. But uh, this could be an interesting one here between uh, TCU and A&M. I could see TCU winning this thing. Couldn't you? All right, Coral Gables. And this is the one, too, that's drawn a lot of attention. Miami of Florida, your number six national seed, will get Canisius, 29 and 23, is their four. And then Arizona versus Ole Miss. You may remember last year, Ole Miss and Arizona played in the Super Regional. And Arizona absolutely smashed them in that final game. But Ole Miss made it very competitive. Ole Miss, the last team in the field, a lot of people are upset about this. And, again, I thought Ole Miss was in until yesterday, maybe Saturday night. But they get in. And if you, if you take the bias out of it, you know, you could make a case for Ole Miss. I don't know that you could make a case that Ole Miss deserves to be in over NC State. And I saw what the, they said on the po- on the announcement show that, well, you know, Ole Miss had some better series wins. And I think that's true, but I think you can kind of cherry pick to fit your narrative. I just think in the end, NC State probably deserved to be in. And you could make an argument Ole Miss probably did too, especially winning 14 games in the SEC and then having a top a plus 40, top 40 RPI. But if it got down to it with so many bid stealers out there, but between Ole Miss and NC State, I would have gone with NC State. Now, some people are suggesting John Cohen went to bat for Ole Miss in hopes of keeping Bianco. Maybe that's true. I don't know. Uh, Stillwater Regional, I guess the conspiracy theories with Cohen never end in Oxford. I love Oklahoma State, though. The Stillwater Regional, I think, could be awfully interesting. Arkansas has not played well the last month. A lot of people had them projecting so projecting towards a top eight national seed and then they really have fallen off here in the last month i've read too some of these comments about michael turner and i i, I hate 
I hate that aspect of social media. I really do. And then to see some other former uh, Arkansas players come out and talk about the death threats and people encouraging them to commit suicide after the 2018 College World Series final where Arkansas was a, a foul ball catch away from winning the program's first ever national title. They don't. Oregon State comes back to win it. Uh, so Arkansas fans not immune from that. And they're not the ones that hold the corner of the market. We have some folks that do that kind of trash too. And so I encourage you not to. But Arkansas gets Grand Canyon in game one. Oklahoma State gets Missouri State. I like Oklahoma State here. Maybe Arkansas can stretch this thing to a winner-take-all regional final. But the uh, the Cowboys played really good. And, again, I think Oklahoma State gets overlooked a lot. I think they're one of the top 15 college baseball programs in the history of the college game. I think that's fair. Uh, the Greenville Regional hosted by East Carolina. We spoke about them a little bit earlier. Cliff Godwin, a guy that uh, he's at his alma mater. A lot of people think that, oh, he'll leave and take this job. I, I think it's going to take a perfect situation. East Carolina gets Coppin State, one of the two uh, teams in the field with a sub-500 record. Uh, Virginia, 38-17 with Coastal Carolina. This could be a spicy regional. And a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and pick Virginia to win this regional. I think Virginia, as a two, will win the region. East Carolina has been exceptionally hot, won 18 games in a row. But I'm going with UVA. I think that UVA lineup has a lot of length to it. And I don't know if you really want to get into a knockdown drag out street brawl with Virginia. I think that's a team that's very, very seasoned. And East Carolina has shown us in the last couple of years that the moment sometimes proves to be a little bit big for them. The Austin Regional, hosted by Texas, uh, the Longhorns have Ivan Melendez, who leads the nation in home runs. I believe that's still correct. Uh, they get Air Force. Now, Air Force is just 30 and 27. But those guys can swing. They don't have elite pitching. Texas played at home. It's going to be a tough matchup. And Louisiana Tech and Dallas Baptist. A lot of people surprised Dallas Baptist got in. Dallas Baptist, an amazing non-conference RPI. And then basically 500 there in their league. They don't win the uh, conference tournament either. They get in as an at-large. I think Texas wins this thing handily. I don't think there's going to be a lot of drama here. Of course, there could be. I mean, you know, Texas is a team, too, that uh, many of us, including myself, thought were the, you know, going to be the favorites to win the NAFL championship when the season began, and then they struggled. They really, really struggled and, and got it going here as of late. But um, this is a peach of a regional for them. I, 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 don't, I don't see any issues in this regional. I don't think there's anybody with enough – Athletes to really compete with Texas head-to-head, much less beat them twice. All right, North Carolina got hot here down the stretch. They end up hosting at Chapel Hill. Great RPI for them. North Carolina gets Hofstra, the pride, in game one. And then Georgia versus VCU. VCU, of course, came to Starkville last year with the nation's longest winning streak and saw it snapped. Georgia, when healthy, can play with anybody. I can see Georgia winning this thing. I don't expect it, though. I think Georgia pushes this to a winner-take-all final, and then North Carolina wins. I think, you know, North Carolina's been hot. And again, Georgia, and what is it with Scott Strickland in the last few years? They've really kind of faded down the stretch. You know, maybe they're pushing their arms a little bit too hard earlier in the year. It just seems like they kind of run out of gas late here as of late. All right, there is a regional hosted in the state of Mississippi this year, and congratulations to the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. They have one of the more difficult regionals, though. And you look at it and say, well, they got LSU as a two. And, and I'm going to go ahead and pick LSU to win this regional. 
but you have Kennesaw State as a three. That's a, that's a really, really sexy three right there. That Kennesaw State team can swing it too. Josh Hatcher, of course, is there. Army is there as the four against Southern Miss. I could see Army winning this game. It sounds crazy, but Steve, Southern Miss is the host school. I, I, listen, all due respect to Coach Barry and, and that team down there, they're going to face three teams that are capable of beating them this weekend. And you can say, but it's a regional. You should always expect that. Yeah, that's true. But the fact that LSU is in as a two, is a strong number two, because LSU was kind of in the hosting discussion. Had they beaten Kentucky in that final game uh, in Hoover, it may have been a little bit different. LSU may be in Baton Rouge this weekend. They're not, but LSU has been kind of scary here as of late. I know they had the big sweep against Ole Miss. Ole Miss went into Baton Rouge and embarrassed those guys. And that really, I think, kind of was too much for them to overcome late. But this is an LSU team in that ballpark at Pete Taylor that can spray the ball to all fields. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And uh, certainly hit for some power. I like LSU to win the regional. 
Uh, Louisville, I'm a Dan McDonald fan, and uh, that's not the future Ole Miss coach. Uh, Louisville will take on SEMO and then Oregon against Michigan. This is an absolutely loaded regional. And you may remember last year Louisville did not make the field. A lot of people thought they should. I thought the committee got that one right. I don't think they did them any favors this year. Three power five teams in the same regional, it's loaded. I mean, it really is. And then SEMO, a conference champ, 17 games over 500. That's a team that's used to winning two. They've won the second most number of games in this regional. Only the host school, Louisville, has more, and that's just one, 38 to 37. I like Louisville, though. I think Louisville wins it, but I think it's one of those that probably goes all the way. You probably have to come out of the loser's bracket. I think Louisville probably has to beat somebody uh, twice. I don't think you're going to get a sweep. This is an interesting one there. It really, really is. Michigan, a team here in the last few years, has really kind of shown that they're always a, a good postseason team. They played Vanderbilt here a couple of years ago for the NAFL championship and then made, made the late run to make the tournament. And then, again, this year, makes the late run, wins the Big Ten tournament, and then here we are. Uh, the Gainesville Regional is another one that I think is very, very interesting. Florida is the one. They get Oklahoma, who won the Big 12 tournament over the weekend. Liberty Inn is an at-large from the A-Sun and then Central Michigan. So you've got basically Florida is the only team that did not win a championship in this regional. Think about that for a second. Central Michigan wins their tournament. Liberty wins the regular season in the A-Sun. And then Oklahoma wins the Big 12 tournament. So these are all you know, very capable and quality teams. I think this regional will be one of the more entertaining ones. And if you're Florida, you finally start playing up to your potential and then you get a regional like this, I don't think this is a cakewalk by any stretch. I do think Florida finds a way to get it done at home. I could see Oklahoma winning it, but I do think Florida wins. Speaking of loaded regionals, and this is where I think when people say the SEC gets a cakewalk, you look, you look at what Florida got. Now look at what Auburn has. Auburn gets southeastern Louisiana. They win the Southland. Their team had also beat Ole Miss early this year, right? I mean, this is a team that schedules pretty, pretty aggressively in the non-conference. The two and three game is UCLA and Florida State. Did you watch UCLA over the weekend? Down 21 to 12 in the ninth. They tie it. And then it's tied again at 22, and they walk it off with a three-run bomb. Outscored them with 16 to one, last two innings. Ridiculous, man. This is a UCLA team too that has enough power at Plainsman Park to make this thing interesting. Florida State gets into it, and, and listen, it's not the same program it once was. One thing I'll say too is I read a lot of the projections. A lot of these. Uh, college baseball experts, and they're all my friends. A lot of people had Florida State going to Florida. Listen, the selection committee tries to avoid those type of in-state rematches when they can. Doesn't always work out that way. You know, back in 18, you know, we wouldn't have had to go play uh, to their miss, or 17, excuse me. Um, we had to go play it to their miss. But Florida, Florida State, Power 5 teams like that, you just don't see it happen very often. So I, did, I never thought Florida State was headed to Gainesville. They end up going to Auburn. And it always seems that Auburn and Florida State, it's kind of like us in Florida State. Like Florida State always seems to draw one of us. This is a loaded regional. And I understand that maybe Florida State's not what they once were, but the, the brand of athlete that they attract, 
Outstanding. Uh, the College Park Regional hosted by Maryland, there were some people that had some concern a little bit about Maryland's worthiness as a top eight. Wake Forest gets in there, too, as a uh, ACC at large. And then UConn, 46-13. and 13. That could be an interesting game right there. Maryland, of course, uh, I think Maryland wins this thing second in the nation in home runs only to Tennessee. Could be cool. Uh, Notre Dame, again, a lot of media angst about this Notre Dame thing. The first thing that I'll tell you is that, uh, you know, last year Notre Dame absolutely did not deserve a top eight national seed. I don't care what everybody else says. They're entitled to their opinions. I just don't agree with them. Absolutely don't agree with them. They they can't well, they played three non-conference games last year. I think that's right. They canceled everything out, saved all their arms for the weekend. They win the ACC, and everybody's like, hey, they're the ACC champs. Yeah, but everybody else in the league played midweek games. Like Louisville didn't have a great non-conference record last year. They went and played some very difficult games and lost some games and then didn't make the tournament. Miami played a ton of very difficult non-conference games. And then Notre Dame didn't. So that's you can't, as a committee, you can't set a precedent like that. It's like, okay, what would we do if Vanderbilt canceled all their midweek games and saved all their arms for the weekend? That There would be blood in the streets, man. You can't let that happen. And so this year, people are like, oh, well, you know, they got screwed last year. They absolutely did not get screwed last year. Absolutely did not. If you want to make a case for them, you could say, well, maybe Texas Tech didn't deserve to host a super. Maybe they should have gone there. But I, I would contend that Stanford was a better team than Notre Dame last year. Not to say that listen, Notre Dame came in here and those guys played outstanding against us. We win the thing. Uh, but the reality of it is, is I think Notre Dame's got to figure this non-conference schedule thing. Everybody's like, well, you know, you have to travel the first month of the year. So does basically everybody above the Mason-Dixon line. And I know it gets complicated. Notre Dame's got a ton of money, too, though. You know, find a way. you got to find a way. That means you got to go on the road and be part of one of these big series or whatever to, to build your RPI. That's what you got to do. You can't keep canceling games and, and then cry about it later. I mean, it's, it's brutal. I think non, I looked it up last night. I guess non-conference strength of schedule for Notre Dame was 259. You kidding me? It's like... And I, I hear all year long, well, midweeks don't matter. Midweeks don't matter. And then we get to the end of the year, we get before the selection committee, we find out midweeks do matter. Some matter more than others. But you can't just go out here and just, you know, pull nine kids out of the stands and call it a ball game and then get to the end of the year and say, but, hey, look at us. You got to figure it out. And to be honest with you, I think League Jarrett is an amazing coach. And uh, I, I think that he – will likely get a, some opportunities to go elsewhere. I don't know how committed Notre Dame is to keeping him from a salary standpoint. But uh, he has done some great things there. But they have got to figure this thing out. And they got to stop whining about it. I mean, I got, I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, it's very annoying. It's like, but hey, they're in the ACC. And yeah, the ACC got nine teams in. And maybe they shouldn't have. Maybe they shouldn't have. But this whole talk about Notre Dame you know, being hosed, I mean, so, oh, my gosh, I can't believe Notre Dame didn't get a break. You know, go out there and find some ways to play some non-conference games against teams that matter, and you won't be in this position next year. And here's the thing, too. If you're worthy of hosting and you get sent to Georgia Southern as your regional, you, you can't complain. 
And now you get Texas Tech in game one, a team last year that you all kind of contended privately. You never named him by name, but you said, hey, we should have been hosting instead of Texas Tech. Well, now you get a chance to beat them up and prove it. And then you get Georgia Southern, you know, as the one in your regional. I mean, if I'm Notre Dame, it's like for as far as road regionals go, this is outstanding. This is absolutely outstanding. You couldn't ask for a better road regional if you're Notre Dame. So stop crying. Go win it. Go win the thing. And is it, are you, is it really that precarious? That's the thing I think about. It's like, you know, hey, we knew we were on the bubble for hosting. And I don't know what the infatuation is with Notre Dame baseball. I mean, I, I really don't. And this is not to take anything away from what Notre Dame has accomplished the last few years. But it's like, okay, well, they should be able to do this. Guys, Notre Dame has next to no baseball tradition. Why would you ever just kind of like err on the side of caution for Notre Dame baseball? Honestly, I mean, ask yourself that. You're like, but Steve, it's Notre Dame. Well, let's define what Notre Dame is. Let's take a look at that, shall we? You, you, you guys want to take a little bit of a history trip with me here? So Notre Dame, and we touched on some of this last year. When, all, when there was all this, you know, angst. So, Notre Dame, in their history, have won two regionals. Two. In their history. I mean, let that sink in for a second. They've been to the College World Series twice in their history. One time in 1957, before when the format was much, much different, we had the district tournaments. They went again in 2002. Those are the things I look at. It's like, well, they're not some blue blood. It's like just because we all watch Rudy, we should just defer to Notre Dame? No, they haven't established themselves. They shouldn't get the benefit of the doubt. But Steve, last year they got screwed. No, they did not. Absolutely did not. The committee did absolutely the right thing. You want to make a case this year? Maybe you can. But if anybody in the ACC has any room to complain, it's going to be NC State. All right, let's take a quick look at uh, what the committee said was the last four in and the first four out. That's always interesting, right? I think we all can see that. And uh, Ole Miss, the last team in. And here's the thing. It's kind of like what do you call the guy that, um, you know, the guy that graduates last in medical school? You call him doctor. I mean, they're, they're in. Simple as that. A lot of people didn't expect it, and I was convinced yesterday they weren't going to be in there either. Uh, but here they are. And uh, I, it's crazy, too. Some of us people are upset about it. They're like, hey, well, we really wanted to go ahead and fire our coach. Well, you still can. You just got to wait a week to do it. You know, I think that's just kind of part of the deal. Those are the things that I think about. You know, it's like, hey, when you get in, you get in. You got to figure it out from there. Okay, so let's look. I'm having to look this up, so it's taking me a second here. But um, so, according to the D1 baseball committee, the first four out NC State, Old Dominion, Rutgers, and Wofford. I think Rutgers and NC State have a real case. I think ODU, maybe. But again, after what happened to NC State, I'd have them in. Now, the last four in Florida State. You don't think Florida State gets a little benefited out sometimes, especially playing in the ACC? Grand Canyon, you? Not sure why they're in. 
over NC State, Liberty, and then Ole Miss. Ole Miss, the last team in the tournament, which means a three-seed on the road, and they're going to Miami. But that's where we are. That's how close it was. Very, very, very interesting to me. And we'll see how things go. But that's, uh, that's your bracket. And so when I start looking at this bracket, you know, in its entirety, I think it's one of those things you look at and you begin to think, okay, the SEC got nine teams in. Most thought we'd get eight in. But we do get in nine. And I think when you begin to kind of pair these things up here, when you look at the super potential super regional matchups, you got Tennessee paired with the Georgia Southern Regional, which should be Tennessee and Notre Dame. Should be. I think you got to like Tennessee there. And you think if you're Notre Dame, it's like, so last year we hosted and then ended up having to play the eventual national champion. This year we're on the road and we're expected to play the eventual national champion. You want to argue that? Yeah, I could probably get down with that. Stanford is paired up with the College Park Regional in Maryland. That should be Stanford and Maryland. And I think in that situation, you got to favor Stanford at home. Oregon State's paired up with Auburn. It's tough to pick this Auburn Regional. It really is. Oregon State will host a, a pretty good team. I won't be surprised if UCLA wins this thing. I won't be surprised if Auburn does, even though Auburn hadn't been quite as good down the stretch. Uh, the Blacksburg Regional, I know it's a number four national seed. I actually think whoever wins this Gainesville Regional is going to win that thing. I really do. I, whether it be Oklahoma or Florida, I think they'll go to Virginia Tech and win the Regional. Uh, A&M and Louisville. That is crazy. College Station versus Louisville. I think that could be one of the better supers because that Louisville Regional is loaded. And in the College Station Regional, of course, you've got A&M and TCU. Uh, certainly a very capable Omaha team going to come out of this one. Miami is paired up with the Southern Miss Regional, which likely means LSU on the road at Miami. I like Miami to win the regional, but uh, that could be awfully interesting. LSU down at Miami. I think I'd have to go with Miami. Oklahoma State's paired up with the uh, Chapel Hill Regional. I like Oklahoma State to win. I like UNC to win. And then I like Oklahoma State to win in advance to Omaha. ECU, I told you, I expect UVA to win that regional. They're paired up with Texas. I got Texas winning that thing. Texas and Virginia in our bracket last year in Omaha. So, interesting. So, kind of, you know, I guess if we run it back, my aid for Omaha will be Texas, Oklahoma State, Miami, I got to make a pick here. I got to make a pick here. All right, so let's go with Louisville. Let's go with Louisville and upset. I, I'm not convinced that A&M is ready for this moment. They've had some transfers, and they've had a really good run down the stretch. I see one with the last seven SEC series. I, I'm going to go with a bit of an upset. I'm going to go with Louisville going into College Station and winning that. And that's assuming, too, that TCU doesn't upset A&M, and then the Super Region will be played at Louisville. I'm going to go with Louisville. Uh, I'm going to go – man, this is crazy here. I, I'm going to go with Florida. I suspect whoever wins the Gainesville Regional wins, whether it be Florida or Oklahoma, I think both of them will be able to go into Blacksburg and win. And maybe I'm selling the, the Hokies short. 
Uh, Auburn, that's a loaded regional. I got Oregon State winning, just playing West Coast ball, and I got Stanford winning against the winner of the Maryland regional, which will probably be Maryland. And then, of course, uh, you know, Tennessee. So that's my eight for Omaha. And then we'll see how it goes from there. Maybe your brackets will be different. Come uh, join me. We'll do a uh, D1 bracket challenge. I'll probably go sign up over at D1 Baseball and do one there. But that's a bracket, and it stinks that we're not in it. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some part of us, too, that some people think Ole Miss getting in is a good thing. I don't know. I don't ever, I don't ever think it's good. You know, I, I don't. But uh, they've still got a, at least one more week in the college baseball to play, and, uh, and we don't. So it stinks. But that's the field, and I think it should be an exciting tournament. And, again, nobody's ever going to be completely happy with the bracket. I think the, the people that have the biggest beef, though, NC Stick. And it's like when I hear the Notre Dame people cry about it, hey, you know, go, go cry for NC, NC State instead of yourselves. All right, time for today's top ten list, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional and a longtime friend of mine. He will be a friend to you, too. I think it's important to take a look at that. There are a lot of people out there kind of jockeying for your business. And that's not to say they're not honorable people. But stick with a winner. Stick with a proven professional like Blair Chandler. 21 years of experience in the industry. Top 1% close ratio nationally in the last two years. How about that? Two years in a row. It's a guy to get things done. Let me give you his number, his personal number. 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Mention to Blair, you heard about him on the boneyard, and he's going to pay for your appraisal. How about that? It's about a $500 value. A lot of fees associated with refinancing or getting a mortgage. He's going to take care of some of that for you because he wants to keep it in the boneyard family. Works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction in mortgage lending. It's probably a good time to refi before the rates get too high. I'm going to consolidate some debt, improve your quality of living, lower your overall monthly payments. Blair can help you with that. Or if you're looking for the dream of home ownership, Blair has worked with many atypical and non-conforming borrowers over the years. If he can't get it done, it can't get done, but he'll get you on a plan to help you get into a position where you can have the dream of home ownership. Again, that's closewithblair.com. All right. I can't believe we haven't done this band before. We've had many, 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 many requests for this band. And somebody hit me up over the weekend. I'm like, surely we've done that. I did some research. We have not done the Allen Brothers. So we're going to do that today. Now, one of the things that I want to point out to you, maybe you're unfamiliar with, there is very much a Mississippi connection to the Allman Brothers. Right? Maybe you didn't know this. John Lee Johnson. J-Mo. The drummer for the Allman Brothers. Originally from Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Still living, still performing at 77 years of age. Also, when the Allman Brothers needed a new bass player, he went out and recruited his friend, also from the Mississippi Gulf Coast, Lamar Williams. And sadly, Lamar died back in 1983 at the young age of 34 years of age. Now, 
JMO and Lamar were part of the Almond Brothers really through their their heyday, I guess you would say. Uh, and then Lamar died as a result of lung cancer, believed to be part of the Agent Orange issues in Vietnam. His family set up a foundation for relief for people who were similarly afflicted. And uh, Lamar, also the Almond Brothers, and then when the Almond Brothers couldn't get along, he and JMO uh, put together a band called Sea Level, and then later the tandem joined another Mississippi musician, Wayne Sharp and the Sharpshooter Band. And during that tour, Lamar got sick. And then the band kind of went on hold. But there you are. So some Mississippi connections to the Almond Brothers. Maybe you didn't know. Lamar played on three different Almond Brothers albums. Brothers and Sisters, Win, Lose, or Draw, and Wipe the Windows, Check the Old Dollar Gas. All in the early to mid-70s. And again, the Almond Brothers, a very influential band in many respects. And I don't know that even though they're in the Hall of Fame, that they get enough respect. Great live band. And here's the thing, too, about the Almond Brothers, too. The guitar tone from Dickie Betts. I, I don't know if anybody else really has that. And a lot of people talk about Dwayne Almond and, you know, Greg, of course, uh, the younger brother of, uh, of the Almonds. But, um, you know, Dwayne and Dickie Betts were outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. I think when you, you, know, you begin to look at Southern Rock and you begin to kind of understand the acclaim that this band received, it was very well deserved. And the music still holds up too. So we're going to do a top 10 today of Almond Brothers tunes. Now there's going to be a cover, maybe two. But we're going to start with number 10. It is an original track from the Almond Brothers called Pony Boy. Now, one of the reasons that I love this one is it sounds like an old blues track. It sounds like something from the Robert Johnson catalog. It really does. It's an outstanding album. I mean, excuse me. It's an outstanding song that really builds. You know, you've got this lonely acoustic guitar knocking down some blues standards, and it builds and builds and builds. And uh, the song basically is about um, a guy that uh, has a drinking problem and he never really worries about it, but he's got a horse to get him home. The horse always knows the way home, even if he passes out. Number nine is One Way Out. They actually did a live album called One Way Out later, but One Way Out much earlier in the catalog. And again, another kind of a blue standard. Almond Brothers... You know, they didn't have maybe the country twang at times that maybe Skinner did and maybe weren't quite as heavy, but they were tr kind of true to themselves in many respects. Number eight, Ain't Wasting Time No More. That's another great one. Probably one that a lot of people that are just casual fans of the Almond Brothers aren't familiar with, but you'll absolutely love it. Number seven, Jessica, and a great instrumental track where the guitar does all the singing. Dickie Betts wrote that about his daughter. The song was inspired by her. A lot of songs written by the Alban Brothers about women and sometimes um, written in code. 
if you're if you remember of these guys, uh, <laughs> it's you know what that, that whole album, the uh, Brothers and Sisters album is is one that probably start to finish that um, that if you don't know you should probably know. There's a great cover of uh, Jelly Jelly, an old blue standard as well that uh, they did a great job with. But uh, Dickie Bat's kind of the primary songwriter uh, on this album. And, uh, you know, Eat a Peach is another one that's outstanding. And, of course, uh, Ain't Wasting Time No More is the lead track. It's a Greg Allman song. But, uh, again, I think if you get some time and listen to this list, I think you'll feel even better maybe about uh, the Allman Brothers. I I think it's one of those things where you think, okay, well, I know a couple of the hits, but you really probably know more than that, probably just kind of put away uh, in your memory. I think that's a big part of all this thing, too. An interesting, a song that didn't make the list that I want to share a little story about. In my research for this, I kind of uncovered some of this, but uh, it's in memory of Elizabeth Reed. And Elizabeth Reed is actually the name of somebody in the cemetery where the Alban brothers are buried. And it's not about a lady named Elizabeth Reed. It's about a lady that I believe Dwayne Allman had a relationship with. She was actually girlfriend of Boss Gags. And um, so they put this great instrumental together. There's a couple of really live uh, renditions out there. Uh, live at the Fillmore, I believe, if my memory serves me correct from research, is the actual original recording at the Fillmore rather than like they played it and then re-edited it in the studio. Again, I didn't make the list, but another instrumental about a, a, a female. Six is Southbound. It's a great track. I mean, really kind of indicative of the, the Almond Brothers catalog here. I mean, we're talking up tempo, twos and fours, a lot of blues standards, a great vocal. Number five, wonderful song a lot of people love and will probably say, Steve, it should be higher on the list, and that's okay too. It's Melissa. And I heard an interview with Greg Allman one time, and, he, and he, it wasn't about a girl named Melissa. It was about another love interest that he had. And again, he kind of gave a code name here. And Melissa just fit a little bit better. And so to kind of provide some cover for the young lady, he threw Melissa on it. But the lady he wrote the song about knows that it was about her. So again, some intrigue to the songwriting of the Alban Brothers. Number four. I think this may be one of the more underappreciated songs in the catalog. And a lot of people cover it, which is great. But it's the, uh, it's the whipping post. I feel like I've been tired of the whipping post. Some days I feel like I'm dying. Great, 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 great song. And uh, I know that um, Stapleton does a great version of this. There's a lot of people out there that uh, have kind of committed themselves to this song and kind of done their own renditions of it. But um, I think this is one of those songs that uh, probably, it's one of those ones to me, I'm kind of glad that people honor the song. The rest of it is, there are just some songs I don't think you mess with. And this is one of them. It's absolutely one of them. And uh, Whip and Post off the inaugural, or the debut album from the Allman Brothers the Allman Brothers Band, and this was uh, written by Greg Allman. Not a cover. But uh, we've all been there at some point. Number four song, again, a whipping post. Number three is a cover. I love it, and I think you will too. 
at times this has been my favorite Almond Brothers track, and it's actually a cover written by Blind Willie McTell back in 1928, refers to the town of Statesboro, Georgia, which isn't too far from where uh, these fellows are from, from Macon. But Blind Willie Tell, a blues picker, recorded this great song, Statesboro Blues. I absolutely love it. Again, a lot of people have, uh, have covered it. A lot of people have uh, made it uh, one of these songs that is kind of synonymous with Southern rock, but it dates back nearly 100 years now. I read, too, that uh, Bob Dylan wrote a song of Blind, Blind Willie McTell. How cool is that? Not a big Dylan fan. Maybe you're familiar. But again, Statesboro Blues, number three on your list. And I, and I couldn't put it number one since it was a cover. But number two, and this is kind of, I guess, where we are. I think we all would probably agree with the top two songs. We may not agree on the order. And I think I'm probably going to get some messages about this. And that's okay. But I went with Ramblin' Man as number two. Ramblin' Man number two. You said, but Steve, no. There's a couple reasons why. Uh, number one, I think Ramblin' Man is uh, very indicative of Southern life at the time. And so I think it fits. But I also think it's... Uh, it's one of those songs that, to me, it's a little almost too upbeat, even if some of the lyrics are kind of sad. I think, I don't know that um, I could make that leap. And maybe that's just me. Maybe that's me. But I think that's number two. Number one for me, and, I, and one of the separators for me is the vocal on this. It's Midnight Rider. I think it's a very inspirational song. It's a song, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, whatever's happening in life, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be knocked down. I'm not going to be considered lesser than. And it's one of the, it came off the second album, Out of, Out, of Wild, Out of Wild South. And they weren't really superstars yet. And I believe if it came out later, like later in their career, I think it would have been an even bigger song. Ironically, the B-side to this is Whoopin' Post. Think about that for a second. You go to a record store and you buy 45, and you get two legendary songs on the same 45. That's a pretty cool thing, too. Again, the B-side, Whoopin' Post. It's just ridiculous, man, how fortuitous all this stuff began. But this is, again, a Greg Allman song. Uh, wrote out in Macon, Georgia. But one of those songs to me that the, the part about – I got one more silver dollar. I mean, it's like you really kind of understand, you know, the plight of this guy. It's like, I got, I got nothing, but whatever happens, I'm not going to let him get me, though. I'm not going to let him get the Midnight Rider. It's just an absolutely incredible song. There are a few songs in life that I think are perfect. This is one of them. It's absolutely a classic song. And what's amazing to me... <laughs> is the Allman Brothers released Midnight Rider, and we're talking about all these years later, and it never hit the charts. It never hit the charts. And a lot of other people covered it, but um, never as good as the original. Never. And we're talking, you know, Joe Cocker, Willie Nelson, and many others that actually had a hit with it. But, um, you know, the, to me, 
the fact that it never hit the charts and that all these years later we're still talking about it just kind of shows the majesty of the song. It's just an absolutely perfect song. Absolutely perfect. The arrangement's great. Lyrical content's great. The, the bass line on it is infectious. The vocal is outstanding. So there you go. That's my top ten Almond Brothers songs. You may disagree, and that's okay. You know, my, my good friend Paul Brown is a huge Almond Brothers fan. We've talked at times about <clears throat> hitting the road and going and seeing some of these uh, aging Southern rock stars and, and writing some of those stories. And uh, I would love to hear the stories behind some of these songs. And uh, maybe someday we will. We, we don't have an infinite amount of time, though. We don't, sadly. You know, because uh, a lot of the Almond Brothers band is, uh, is gone now. So... It's important, I think, to recognize that. And for you young folks that are somewhat unfamiliar with the Allman Brothers, I encourage you to take a listen to this list this week at some point. Whether you're on the road or you're just seeing friends or you're out by the river, I think it's important to kind of expand your musical horizons. And I can't think of a better band to do that for you than the Allman Brothers. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. You know your friends out there at Campus Bookmart. A Stark Villigan institution, man. Campus Bookmark, been around forever and a day, run by fabulous people that love Mississippi State just like you do. So they're always in the market for new Mississippi State merchandise to keep you and your family outfitted in the latest and greatest Mississippi State merch. And they carry all five of my books there, too. So maybe when you're ordering, maybe you kind of complete your collection, too. How about that? Uh, the lovely, talented Susie, Miss Kathy Brown, Miss Pam Manier, the whole crew there will do a wonderful job for you because in their minds, you're family. They really have bought into this whole Mississippi State family movement. So you go in, they're going to be glad to see you. They're going to take care of you, give you good products at a good price. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right. Mississippi State, former Mississippi State hurler, Ethan Small, scheduled to make his major league debut today. I think it's uh, pretty crazy to think about this. You know, there was some talk last week that he might come up. He didn't. He's up this week. We've just kind of been waiting for this to happen. Former first-round draft pick guy that was outstanding for the Bulldogs in his time here. And I think a lot of people, you know, it's like, hey, I remember he was great in 18 and then uh, 19. And then they forget about the fact that he was part of that 2016 team. You know, he had Tommy John surgery in 17, didn't pitch, came back, had a really good 18 and an absolutely phenomenal 19 season. Um and now set to make his major league debut today against Chicago Cubs. And uh, looks like that game – let me just take a look here now, looking at our numbers here. It looks like that game, uh, game one, already underway. And it's a tie game here in the, uh, in the sixth. But uh, let's see if there are some numbers here for uh, Ethan Small here in his debut. Yeah, so, so his day is done. Ethan Small goes two and two-thirds of an inning, allows four hits, two runs, both earned four walks. That's kind of been an issue this year for him, uh, four Ks. But uh, he will get a no decision in this deal as it is now a 4-4 ball game uh, in the sixth. 
Yeah, I guess he left down uh, 2-1, or the Brewers tied it there in the top of four. So a no decision for Ethan Small. They get him up. Now, how long that lasts, you know, we'll see. Uh, but here's the deal. Pitches, strikes, 69 pitches, just 38 of them. That, that's got to get better. That, that's been kind of the issue with him this year. As great as he's been, uh, control hadn't always been the best. But uh, Ethan, now his major league debut now behind him. When you look back at that 2016 team, you know, we talk about you need some players. If you're going to do something special, you need to get guys that uh, kind of have career years or guys that uh, have a big future ahead of them. You know, looking back at the 16 roster, you know, Jacob Robson was the guy that really came on and has kind of you know, tucked around AAA most of his career there. But that guy's still chasing, uh, you know, a full-time major league job. Uh Jake Mangum, of course, tearing it up now in AAA for the Mets. I think it's just a matter of time before he gets called up. Be another guy off his team that gets the opportunity to make a major league debut. Uh, Brent Rooker, of course, has played some at the major league level. He's right now at AAA. It's a matter of time, I think, before he becomes you know, a big-time player uh, on the next level. Dakota Hudson, of course, in the rotation for the Cardinals now. Jack Kruger has uh, – Spent some time in the big leagues, too. Made his major league debut last year, if I'm not mistaken. Nathaniel Lowe, of course, absolutely killing it. People forget, too, he was a Division One bounce back. Went through the junior college ranks. He wasn't a traditional junior college player. Uh, was at Mercer and then goes to JUCO, bounces back to Mississippi State, becomes a big leaguer. And uh, Connor Pilkington this year earlier made his major league debut for the Cleveland Guardians. And so – you begin to look back, you know, if you're going to do things that are of note, more times than not, you've got to have Major League Baseball prospects. And if you go back and think about Kruger, and you think about Nathaniel Lowe, those are not guys that came up in our program. Those are guys that came in to fill a need. And that's kind of what we are now. And you begin to think about all these great players that, uh, that we cheered for and kind of hope for the best for and now they're, they're still playing baseball. And so you look back at hindsight, and you're like, okay, well, this makes perfect sense. It makes sense in hindsight that these guys are still playing. And you say, okay, well, there's so many guys playing pro baseball, Steve. There were a ton of guys drafted on that team. We go back and we talk about the 13 team. Now you're seeing it with the 16 team. You know, what's to be said in the future? We talk about some of our greatest teams, like 85. You know, obviously, you know, Will Clark and Palmero and Thigpen and Brantley, those guys are outstanding. 89 – Arguably one of the best teams in our school's history. You didn't have a lot of big leaguers on that team. You had a lot of great, great college baseball players that uh, got into the minors, but uh, not a lot of those guys really pushed through and played, you know, big-time baseball. You know, Pete Young, I know, was one of them that did. But, you know, you've got to have a combination of guys that are pro prospects but also just kind of winning college baseball players. And I look back at that 16 team, that's exactly what you have. And, of course, you got a kid named Mangum that, um, you know, won the batting title as a freshman and people forget he didn't even start the first part of the season he was your opening day left fielder and then didn't play for a while and then really once sec play started jake mangum's magistry of the magic remember the big night at nashville against vanderbilt he had the big hit we ended up winning that game i don't think jake left the lineup the rest of the year but you look back in hindsight about how special that team was and how special those players were and now they're beginning to filter into the Major League Baseball ranks. Nate Lowe wasn't exactly a huge power hitter here at Mississippi State. He hit a handful of bombs, but um, has really kind of reinvented himself in many respects as a long ball hitter 
in the major leagues. Bounced around a little bit, but that's a guy that people know. So, again, congratulations to Ethan Small and congratulations to so many people that uh, are really kind of involved with all of this. I think it's important people kind of fully appreciate the fact that you know, we're not just one of these programs that just kind of consistently wins ball games. We're consistently a team that produces Major League Baseball prospects. It's always important to understand it's a dream of every ball player to have that opportunity to play beyond the college level. Now, most of them don't realize that dream, but all of them share in that dream. So here we are now six seasons later, and Ethan Small, of course, um, in the bigs. Now, of course, he, he didn't complete his – career here in 16 but again I think it goes back in, in, in hindsight when you look at the quality of that roster you know Reed Humphreys was a guy that was drafted really high uh, Brent Rooker was on that team too it's crazy to think about all that stuff you know and so in order for us to kind of get to where we want to go that's the level we have to recruit you have to go out and get those guys to come to school and then get them hard at work to kind of develop uh, you know in that, that whole area East Central and Hurley Mississippi been a good area for us too you know, Brad Compass is a guy, too, that uh, we'll hear his name called in the draft here pretty soon. But uh, you know, I don't know how many big leaguers we have, like even on our College World Series team of last year. You know, how many of those guys reached the bigs? I mean, you think Bednar will. Feel like Tanner Allen at some point will. But outside of that, I mean, we, I think it was a team of great college baseball players. Landon Sims on that team, and I believe Landon at some point will make the bigs, too. But, you know, again – a great team of great college baseball players. You go back and think, you know, Scotty DeBrule, and there's a reason he was available on the grad transfer market. You know, he, he just didn't project well as a major league baseball player. He came here and had a really good year for us, was very instrumental in us winning an NFL championship. Luke Hancock, a guy that took over mid-year at first base, and Josh Hatcher now, of course, sets a school record for doubles at Kennesaw State, and they're going to be playing at the Southern Miss Regional. So we, you know, we can you know, maybe have a rooting interest down there. But, you know, Luke Hancock doesn't really project well as a pro baseball player. Maybe it's a guy that hangs around in minors for several years. You know, Lane Forsythe is a guy that's an elite defender, but does he project really well as a, as a guy on the next level? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know that the offensive piece is going to come around. You know, but he, you know, he's still young. He's still learning. He got better this year. You know, Cameron James is a guy that is probably a four-tool player. Probably didn't hit with quite enough power, but this is a guy, too, that uh, does he make the bigs? I don't know. Does he get above triple A? I don't know. But I do think that he's a guy that will get drafted and, and play ball for a while. Uh, you know, Brad may be the guy on this team you know, that played throughout the year that you look back and say, you know what, he may have the highest ceiling of all these guys. And, of course, LT is a guy that's a, it's a stud, too. Uh, you know, center field, of course, was uh, Rowdy Jordan last year. Does Rowdy make the bigs? I, I would probably say no at this point, but you never know, you know, how things are going to progress and develop. I wouldn't have thought Jacob Robson would be that guy either. And Jacob's still playing baseball, you know. And so I think it's important to kind of understand that you, you, you've got to have a combination of both. You've got to have some guys that are kind of your nucleus, just great college baseball players that may not be real prospecty. And then you've got to be able to get some of those other guys that turned down pro ball to come to school to go chase something like Kellen Clark did. And so those things, I think, are always very interesting. To kind of look back in hindsight and look at the dynamic of a great team. You know, you think about that 85 team. You know, we had, again, some great college baseball players kind of wrapped around a strong nucleus of four or five guys that were just – 
stars. I mean, Gene Morgan was an incredible college pitcher. Not a guy that really projected to the next level. He was phenomenal. You know, you go back and think about John Scott, an incredible third baseman. Not much of an offensive player. The guy could really pick and stick at the hot corner. Dan Van Cleve, phenomenal. Phenomenal college player. Didn't really project well at the next level. And so you've got to have a good combination of that. You can't just have a bunch of guys that are just good enough to be here. You've got to have guys that can excel at this level. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more kind of about the rebuild uh, here in the next segment of the show. And a lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, it shouldn't have been a rebuilding year. And you're, you're exactly correct. But now it is. Now it is a rebuild, and we're not patient enough to wait around for anybody to have any development. We, we've got to hit the ground running here. And we're going to talk about that in the next uh, segment of the show. Let's thank our friends at Portico. Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog outfielder in his own right. An outstanding person, an outstanding Mississippi State alum. A guy that always dreamed of putting that cap on, taking that field. Robbed a home run against Washington to send us to Omaha. Amazing. Let me give you Brooks's phone number in case you need it, because you probably will. It's 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. And so Brooks is part of this great group that's bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville Portico. Phase one, completely sold out. Your new neighbors are already enjoying life. They're already enjoying the life and times of living in Star Vegas. It's a fabulous experience being here. Some of those places are a second home for some Bulldog fans. For others, it's a, for a future retirement home. They're like, you know, once I get off the, the, the hamster wheel of life, I'm moving back to Starkville full-time. I'm going to go to all the baseball games, all the basketball games, go to some softball games. I'm going to be there. And maybe it's a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Maybe it's three, three, maybe it's four. Four bedroom, four bath. Maybe maybe you, you want a big place so when all your kids and grandkids come home to Starville to go to a ball game, everybody's got somewhere to stay. And it's not so much that they couldn't afford to get a hotel. Sometimes it's just nice to have every, the whole family under one roof. That way grandma can make breakfast, right? All the kids can play together. So think about that as you begin to consider the next phase in life. I can promise you living in Starville is one of the best things that ever happened to me. I am here until they put me in a nursing home. I love it here. Come be my neighbor. Join up with the fine folks at Portico. Very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on the 12, like going towards campus, like you're going to the ballgame. The very first right is Pat Station Road that takes you to Portico. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, but it's a quiet side of campus. What could be better than that? To have the convenience of campus, but also maybe the seclusion and solitude of a neighborhood. Go check it out today. You'll be glad you did. Make Portico your next move. All right, over the weekend, you may have learned that Jake Gotro, Mississippi State's hitting coach, removed his name for consideration for the Tulane head coaching job. Now, anytime Tulane hires a head coach, which has been pretty regular in recent years, Jake's name is going to come up. It is. He is an obvious candidate. Now, let's give John Cohen... A little credit here. You know, John had the foresight to kind of lock Jake up to the point that basically a G5 job, he's going to have to take a pay cut to do it. And that's not to hold Jake hostage. 
that's to kind of ensure that when Jake does get a head coaching position, it is going to be a perfect situation. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge Jake Gotro fan, and, and that's not to say that there are times I don't get frustrated. Times There are times I do. I do that's baseball, though. You know, Jake's a guy what he's got every day in practice. He knows what the game plan is. There are some times I don't, you know, we don't know. Like, I love people that say, I don't like our approach. Well, okay, well, what is our approach? Explain it to me. You heard somebody say that, and it sounded cool, but explain it to me. What is our approach? Have you looked at the analytics and figured out that this guy will throw a fastball in these particular counts? More times than not, he relies on the fastball away to left-handed hitters. And that he is more susceptible to certain pitches and certain counts. Maybe that's our approach. And, you know, we're not privy to that. So it's easy for us to look on TV and just kind of react to what we see and not have the knowledge. Now, could we have hit the baseball better this year? Yeah, we absolutely could. And listen, statistically, our numbers are very similar to what they were last year. It's the clutch situations. And I'm not going to make excuses for anybody, but I think the reality of it is I think as more pitchers got hurt, more of the pressure shifted to the offense. I think guys kind of tied themselves in some mental knots here. It's like, okay, listen, I know we've got to go out and get a four or five run lead because we don't have anybody in the bullpen. I got to go out here. I got to hit a home run rather than just moving the order along. I think we've made some mistakes. But Jake is the guy, too, that is an outstanding recruiter. This guy's an outstanding hitter. He's an outstanding hitting coach. You know, we, we, were, we were not a great offensive team last year, but we were a clutch team last year. This year, again, the numbers are similar, but we just were not good in clutch situations. Some of that's experience. You know, one of the things, too, that I'll share, I'm not going to name any names. It doesn't matter. One of the things that we missed this year was toughness. We missed toughness. We missed guys that were going to fight you for every strike. We missed the fact that Mississippi State was going to fight you for 27 outs. I'm not going to say we had quit in us. I don't believe we did. But I think there were some times late in ball games we kind of accepted our fate. I thought at times we had a handful of guys take some selfish swings. I don't think Luke Hancock was one of them. You know, Luke is a guy, too. I think Luke probably understands chances of him making the bigs. Not real strong. He still wants to get a chance to go try it, though. You know, now Luke may be back next year. I don't expect him back, but he may be. He may be. We'll open the door for that. I think he's another one of these guys, too, that uh, is kind of what we talked about. He's a really good college baseball player. He's a winning college baseball player. And I don't know that he's going to be able to live with the fact that maybe his final year at Mississippi State, State finished last in the West and out of the NCAA tournament. That's it. You, know, you win an AFL championship, but you'd like to be able to go out with a little bit better thing than that. I think that factors in too. But I think Luke's age is a big part of this. But, you know, over the course of the season, you know, it's like I kept having so many people tell me, man, Luke is trying so hard. Luke is trying so hard to kind of be that guy, to be that guy, to have the Tanner Allen moment, to come through when State's got runners on. And I think at times it was probably putting too much pressure on himself. And so that's what I think Goat's got to figure out. And I think, you know, Jake Gotro's name is going to come up for a lot of jobs because there are a lot of people in college baseball that maybe doesn't share the opinion of some of our lunatic fringe fans. You know, it's like we strike out a big situation, we want to fire everybody, bulldoze the campus, put Dr. Keenum in exile, whatever, you know. We have some people like that that react very negatively to things. And it's because they love Mississippi State. It's not because they're bad people. They're just kind of venting their frustration the only way they know how. It's not always in the most healthy formats. Jay Gotro is a great hitting coach. And you remember, it's like every year, like 
Jake's name would come up. Oh, we can't lose him. Cohen, go open up a checkbook. Well, we have. We have. Jake Gotro among the highest paid assistant coaches in college baseball. In fact, your Mississippi State assistant coaching pool believed to be, last year when it was signed, the highest paid coaching staff in college baseball. may not be today, but we're paying our assistant coaches well. He said, but Steve, we expect them to perform. Well, they have up until this year. You know, and if anybody, if there's ever been a coaching staff in the history of Mississippi State Athletics that deserved a mulligan, it's your Mississippi State College baseball staff. They won an AFL championship. And, you know, I get it. It's ancient history. It's a year ago now. And we've had a season that we've had to kind of be sour about all year this year. And so you look at all that, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted – I wanted a chance to go repeat, and even if I didn't get that, I at least wanted a chance to be in the tournament to give us a real chance to defend our title. We've had some injuries, and we've documented all that stuff. That's not the only reason that we're not there. You know, we had some guys not really step up this year, and that's really the challenge for Gotro is now we've got to get these guys ready. We've got to get them prepared, get them mentally tough enough for those big moments, and not so tough they tie themselves in mental knots where they can't perform. You got to get them playing loose. And that was the thing, too. You look at Tanner Allen. People forget this. Tanner Allen had a very forgettable 2020 because he was hurt. He banged a foul ball off his knee, lost some time to that. And then we let him come in and pinch hit. If memory serves me correct, they plunked him. We play out at Long Beach State. He lays out. And breaks his hand. And I don't think people fully appreciate it. The 2020 season would have continued. Chances of Tanner Allen playing were next to none. And so he didn't get drafted. And he comes back with a chip on his shoulder. He comes back and going to prove everybody wrong about him. And he did. He ends up being National Player of the Year. And so I say that to kind of understand there is a player development part of all of this. And Jake and I spoke about Tanner Allen last year when it was all over with. He said there was just a fire in him because of the disappointment of 2020 and the fact that it was a five-round draft that year, so it was an abbreviated draft. He didn't get picked. He was angry. And as soon as the draft went final, he texted Jake and said, I'm going to come for everything. I'm going to come for everything next year. And he ends up being National Player of the Year, SEC Player of the Year, and an AFL champion. And so there are going to be some other people that I think have a similar fire as they kind of come back and filter back into this program next year. Now, the rest of that story is you can't just depend on that. Mississippi State has always had a culture of toughness. And that was the thing with us last year in 2021 is that it didn't matter how late in the game it got. We always thought we had a chance to win. This year, we, we just didn't feel that. We didn't exude that level of confidence. I think we all saw the same things, right? It's like, hey, this is a big moment here, but we're not going to come through. I mean, how many times in 2021 did the, the, uh, the late game situation find Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen? It seemed like every time we needed a big hit, one of those two guys came up and they got it. You know, this year, and, and, I, and I guess it was probably April, and I began to kind of feel this way. And I'm just speaking from my heart here. I'm just kind of telling you exactly how I felt. There was never a point in any ball game down the stretch where, like, I would think to myself, okay, who do we have up this inning? Oh, we're definitely going to score. 
You never, you never felt that way. You just didn't have that level of confidence that, okay, all right, we got uh, top of the order of it. it means a run. Well, the truth of the matter is, unless RJ was going to hit a shot, we didn't score a lot in the top half. You know, who knew Brad Cumbus was going to be what he became this year? I mean, let's be honest about it. He had five home runs last year. And in many ways, you know, you know, Brad was almost kind of like like a walk-on. Like, like our fans were like, yeah, he's one of us, man. It's like, you know, we went and took our own kid and put him on the team. And the next thing you know, Brad Cumbus ends up being a dude that everybody has to pay attention to. And Brad did his best to kind of lead. I mean, he did. Brad, obviously, the game-winning home run to win the series against Ole Miss in extra innings. It was a big moment. It was huge, and there were some stretches this year that, uh, you know, Kellum and Brad both were kind of pulling at the same time. But by and large, you just never had this level of confidence. And it's like, you know what, this is a dangerous lineup. It's like we're just hoping to. I mean, like, how often did we get multiple hits in innings? I mean, I haven't done the math on it. But every time, you know, we get a leadoff double or we get a, you know, we get a guy on and we push him to second – and we can't get him around. I mean, LOB was the story of our life this year. And so I think when you look at Gotro, I think Jake wants to get that fixed before he takes another job somewhere else. And I wasn't worried about the Tulane thing this go around. And Tulane's not the school it was when Jake played there. And that is in no way disrespectful to Tulane. But they're not doing need-based aid like Vanderbilt did. I mean, that was a big thing. It was like, hey, look at this. Well, all of a sudden, they quit doing need-based aid, and you see what's happened to Tulane. It's just not the program it once was. And so, unless they're going to go back to doing that, hiring Jay Gotro is not going to signal a return to greatness. It's very expensive to go to Tulane. What is it, like sixty grand a year? It's ridiculous. How many people are going to be willing to cut to write that check when you could play at a comparable baseball program for a lot less? And so there is a recruiting deficiency there, and I think Jake realizes that. It's not a perfect situation. It's just not. And I understand they're trying to get creative down there, you know, trying to get some things done. You know, they're like the rest of us, too. You know, we need, we need scholarship reform, college baseball. And I think Tulane probably needs it worse than anybody. You know, we're chasing Vanderbilt in that respect. But I think also, too, I think there are a lot of teams out there that love college baseball, but they, they can't find a way to fund it or finance it in a way that they can be very competitive. All right, the rebuild is already underway. You know, we're awaiting this portal stuff, and I think this is important to understand. A lot of tears to this whole portal thing. Now that the conference tournaments are over, you're going to have a lot more people go in the portal. Some of those are going to be draft eligible, which complicates matters because if you want to go get this guy, then he gets drafted in July, and you may miss out on your number two, number three person. But if you can find players with multiple years of eligibility remaining and get those guys to campus, you know, it's not some, you know, rental type deal. You know, like, okay, it's a, it's a one-year stopgap measure. So on Sunday, Mississippi State picked up the commitment of Nate Chester, junior college player. And so right now people, oh, junior college. No, it's not that simple. He is a junior college player, but he's not just any junior college player. He actually signed with Missouri out of high school. He's originally from Kansas City, Missouri. Signed with Missouri 
messed up his shoulder like right before his freshman year. Had to have surgery. Had the medical redshirt year. And then the next year, elected to go to junior college because he wanted to get reps. This past spring, he was at John A. Logan College there in Illinois. Ended up being that conference's freshman of the year. Ends up having a huge season for them. And I had some people kind of compare him to R.J. Yeager. He had 363, 10 home runs, 50 ribbies, 68 runs scored, 14 stolen bases. And that's in the Great Rivers Athletic Conference. He was an all-conference performer and the freshman of the year. He picked up about a dozen offers here in the last two weeks. Oklahoma State, who is a top eight national seed. I guess that's right. Yeah, they, uh, they were on him, Southern Illinois. Ole Miss did not offer but was in contact with him. Ohio, Kansas State, Louisiana Monroe, Louisiana Lafayette, several others were in touch with him. Well, he's not coming to Mississippi State. Playing summer league ball right now. He will be here for the second session of summer school. Unless they can swing it and get him here right now. I don't know that uh, that may be a little bit difficult to do right now. But the reality of it is, is that the rebuild is underway roster-wise. Now, I was very impressed speaking to him on the phone. He was very excited to talk, committed yesterday morning. But here is one of the things that he said in his interview, and you can read the interview for free over at jeanspage.com. It's on my social media feeds as well. The reason that Coach Cheesebro recruited me is because I love to win. He watched some of my film, talked to my junior college coach. He told me that they wanted a tough SOB that loves to win. I really hate losing. That's the first thing I would tell people about me. It just ruins my whole mood. Those fans can expect me to give everything I have no matter what. It doesn't matter if I'm 0 for 4 with 4 strikeouts or 3 for 3 with 3 home runs. I'm going to do all I can to win games. I will do whatever I have to do to win. That's what we've been missing. And listen, we've got some guys that love to win. I don't know how many guys we have that hate to lose. There's a difference. Now, I was never talented enough or practiced enough or coached enough to play college baseball. Wasn't. It's the reality of life. I had to do this for you guys, right? Had a different purpose in life. But here's the thing that I'll tell you, and I think in some ways maybe I pass this down to my oldest son and my daughter, is that the fear of losing to me exceeds the joy of winning. Does that make sense? I think in some respects I have an allergy to losing. Like I don't care the situation. I don't care who we're playing. And maybe it's an inferiority complex where I always feel like i got something to prove. But I hate losing. And when I think back about the 2021 Mississippi State team, you had a lot of guys on that team that hated losing. And the only remedy for that is to win. And then you expect to win. And so the joy of winning sometimes, you're just like, okay, well, that's what we're supposed to do. And so there's, you know, there is some emotion involved with it, but it's really more emotion of beating back that crippling fear of losing and having somebody feel somewhat superior to you. Does that make sense? So the thing that I'm hearing is that that's one of the first things Mississippi State is prioritizing. you got to have good size and good stats. 
But you got to be a baseball player that is allergic to losing. This is Mississippi State. This is not a team that just happened to get hot, you know, at the end of a talent cycle and figured it out. Mississippi State was good the entire year last year. Had a few bumps in the road. We weren't like a Fresno State that just got hot at the end of the year. Like, I've read some people that have said that, and what you're really telling me is you don't know anything about Mississippi State baseball. We didn't just get hot. We were hot and highly ranked most of the year. How do you explain the Missouri series? Well, I can't. Even two years later, I can't. Even 13 months later, I can't, I can't explain it other than to say it's baseball. So when I think about what the 2023 Bulldogs should look like, I think what I'm hearing about Nate Chester gives me room for optimism. I need guys they are going to live in the cage. I'm going to need guys that, hey, they're going to have a good time too, but baseball is going to come first. Baseball and academics has to come first. Of course, there is a social element playing in a program like Mississippi State. But I'm sitting there talking with Nate Chester yesterday. He was telling me about the uh, – we're talking about false scrimmages and about how so many people come out. He has already been prepared to know that there will be thousands of people turn up to watch a fall baseball scrimmage that will be out there in the cold, and it's nothing to see a 1,000 people show up out there late in the fall just to watch the team play an inter-squad game. And you can hear the excitement in his voice, and he's like, you know what, this is what I've been waiting for. The thing that I think about, too, with our, our future players is you got a chance to go a lot of places. But why not go somewhere the baseball matters? There are a lot of coaches out there doing good jobs. There's no doubt about it. There are a lot of schools out there that have some very rabid fans, just maybe not as much as us. College baseball is a big deal in Mississippi, very much so at Mississippi State. Matter of fact, our younger brothers try to emulate what we do. They know who the daddies are. They know it's a big deal for them to beat us. It's not so much a big deal for us to beat them. We want to beat them. We don't go print T-shirts or anything, though. But when I hear Nate Chester speak so glowingly about the opportunity in front of him, about what it's going to feel like to walk on Duty Noble Field, and it's so interesting, too, like when you, when you interview prospects and you talk to college baseball players, they never say Mississippi State's ballpark. They never say Mississippi State's stadium. They all know where Duty Noble Field is. They know about Duty Noble. They get it. And the reverence in which they speak of it says a lot about the history of our program. And so we got to go get people that are allergic to losing, that want to be somewhere where baseball matters, that understands they're adding to a rich history and tradition, that it's not just enough to wear the uniform, but you want to add something to the prestige of the uniform in the program which you play for. Those are the kind of baseball players we need. And that is not an indictment on anybody else that's ever worn a uniform. But we're in a kind of a crisis situation right now. So we have to kind of fine-tune our recruiting pitch. How you feel about losing, kid? I hate it. Oh, yeah? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when the game's on the line? 
And so when you get those guys that kind of play their way in the contention, I think the interview matters. I don't think it's as simple as, hey, here's his splits, and he did this, and here's how he matches up against lefties. I want that guy that agonizes over that last at bat all evening and comes out to the ballpark the next morning and says, you know what, I'm going to be in the cage an extra hour this morning because when that opportunity comes up again, I'm coming through, not just for me and my family and for my teammates, but from this pro for this program that I'm now part of. I want people that understand that baseball matters. And because it matters to us, we want it to matter to them. And again, that's no indictment on anybody else. But that's the kind of player we got to go recruit. And I think Nate Chester fits that. In my brief conversation with him, it's not just, hey, I get to go play at Mississippi State or, hey, I get to go play in the SEC. It's like, no, I get to go to Duty Noble Field and play in front of all those incredible fans, knowing that most of the fall scrimmages will exceed any crowd that I've ever played in front of in my entire life. He made a comment yesterday. We were talking about when State played uh, Alabama this year during the fall scrimmage, and we had a big crowd. And I said, you know, the year before we played uh, Louisiana, had about 3,500 people. He said, man, that would have sold out the stadium in Missouri. And it's a false scrimmage. I think when players understand how special it all is here, not just to us, but in the context of college baseball as a whole, I think you've got to go find those guys that understand what they're putting their arms around and what they're becoming a part of. It's not just a stop in the road. To be a Mississippi State Diamond Dog is a lifelong designation. All right, that's it for today. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. Maybe you've been kind of thinking I'd write a second book this year. No, not this year. But go read that one. Go to dogpilethebook.com. You can get personalized or signed copies of Dogpile, Alpha Dogs, Flim Flim, and Stark Villains. Help your dad. It's Father's Day is coming up. Help dad fill out his collection. And I can promise you this, even if dad's not a big reader, he's going to want to read Dogpile. I think he's going to want to read them all. I loved writing them all. That was one of the things I was most excited about when I got to Stargrass. I said, I'm going to start writing books about Mississippi State. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's documenting our history. I get so frustrated at times when I go back and I'm trying to find something out, and there's no written record of it anywhere. It's like, well, what do I got to do, you know? And you look and look and look, and sometimes you can find an old archived newspaper article. Thank the goodness for the Internet. But the reality of it is I didn't just do it for all of us. I did it for future generations. I'm not going to have some writer look back at my era as a Mississippi State writer and say, you know what, they didn't keep good records. No, nope. I'm going to do my part. So join me, and people always say, Steve, how can we support you? Hey, keep listening to the show, buy the books, buy the merch. Subscribe at jeanspage.com. Again, go to dogpilethebook.com uh, and get those books. Blooms of Oleander, my book of poetry, and uh, inspirational life lessons available at the Barnes & Noble, Amazon, bookstores everywhere. They can order it for you. But also of note, too, if you need Stark Villains merch, and chances are you do, go to starkvillains.com, and they can get you taken care of. Dad needs a shirt. Dad needs some books. And maybe even if you're not a dad, you need to have the, I don't even care if you read them, put them on your shelf, make it you know, a centerpiece on your coffee table. But I think that Dogpile is a book that people will cherish uh, forever. I think every Mississippi State fan needs that book. All right, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.